Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. What a blessing this morning. So we're able to worship together and thank you so much, Zach and the choir, Noah. We feel like we have worshipped, we've been ministered to. In a Genesis 3 world, storms come as we get ready to stand and read Genesis 7, think with me this morning about the key words, the Lord shut him in. Stand with me, Genesis chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floods of the waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. You may be seated. I love positive people. As a matter of fact, I need positive people around me. I, I'm the one, I'm that guy that usually thinks of all the negative things that can happen. 
You know, you've, you've met those people, right? You, if you're not one, you probably live with one because usually they match up with each other. One positive, one a little bit more negative. And so for me, as I'm thinking about Noah and this hundred years of building this ark, as massive as it was, then I, I'm thinking that he or his wife, one, was thinking, well, what could go wrong? You know, the positive, what, what could go wrong? But Noah or his wife, one, was probably also thinking, well, what if, what if all the animals don't come or go in? You know, there's a million things, what ifs here, right? What if it doesn't rain and we're all just sitting on this boat? What if we run out of food? Did I miss any spots with pitch? Will the dogs watch me every time I eat? Will I have my privacy? What if I've just been wrong about this all along? Or what if God chooses to get glory through my failure in this? And what ifs? A million things that could go wrong that could be a problem as Noah is told to go in the ark. But indeed, in verse 1 of chapter 7, the Lord said to Noah, go in to the ark. It's a pretty explicit command with the word that we find often in the Bible, go. And I would say to you, God's will always requires us to exercise faith. Although all the what-ifs are there, although it's good to have fought through all the issues, there's a point in time when we have to step out in faith and do what God's called us to do. And that requires faith. Rarely can we go with God and stay where we are. Some of you are stepping out to start a whole new campus, a Lawndale campus, Lawndale at Reedy Fork. That requires faith. There are a lot of what-ifs, and it's not easy to think about something completely different and new. And I'm challenged, I'm encouraged by the faith of those who are stepping up to say, count me in. Some of you, by faith, you've adjusted your schedule so you can read your Bible every day. And you found, you know what, this is not an impossible task. Even as we read Genesis 1 through 11 as a congregation out loud, I want us to read it out loud because it's the Word of God, and I want us to value the Word of God, every Word of God, because it's all inspired. But I also want to model for you that it doesn't really take that long to read a chapter in the Bible. I mean, if we can stand up together, within five minutes or less, we've read a whole chapter in the Bible Why can't we all read at least one chapter in the Bible every day? Some of you have changed your schedule. You're getting a little less sleep or you're watching a little less television, something that's allowing you to read your Bible. Some of you are giving up sleep so you can meet early for discipleship. Some of you are giving up your lunchtime so that you can meet for discipleship, to have someone walk alongside of you and to help you grow in your faith. You see, God's will always requires us to exercise faith. It's usually going to cost us something to step out in faith. And then we have to trust God with the results. There are three things that God gave Noah. And the first thing that God gave Noah was his household. I know we have to tread on this lightly, but it starts at home when we're living out our faith 
as husbands and wives, as moms and dads. These are the people who are closest to us that God's called us to encourage and to bless and to love your neighbor as yourself and to train and to disciple. I know some of you may have adult kids that are not in God's family, and I would encourage you, don't give up yet. The time is not up, and until your last dying breath, don't give up on those children in your family. Some of you have adult kids and they're walking with God. Praise God for that. Thank him for his grace and his goodness. But I want to think particularly about young, young parents right now or, or, or parents with younger children that are still in your household. And I want to challenge you. One of the things that God does in our lives as we walk with him is he gives us godly influence. And your influence should be the strongest, the loudest, the most impactful in your own house. I love verse 1, go into the ark, you and all your household. Household is not a word that's just used here, but it's used throughout the scripture. And even when we get to the book of Acts, as Jesus has died and rose again and ascended back to his father, and there are those that the church is reaching, and they're making disciples by going and baptizing and teaching, and it says that God saves whole households. You see, when one is a follower of Christ, it impacts the whole, the whole family. And Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless. Even in the midst of a generation of ungodliness, he was choosing to walk with God. And I can imagine he and his wife just pouring into their kids. Remember our statement, God had given Noah a big assignment in building the ark. But that was not any bigger than the assignment of raising the kids that one day would get on the ark. Young, young parents, when you think about your kids, love sacrificially. Whatever it takes to bring them up to know Christ and to follow him and to be a disciple of Christ. Love sacrificially. Part of that is to love frequently. I mean, laugh frequently at your house. Don't get so legalistic and so intense that you don't enjoy being at home together as a family. So love sacrificially, laugh frequently, pray desperately. You cannot save anybody, including your spouse, your young children or your adult children. Only God saves Pray desperately, asking God to do what only he can do. Let God use you as an instrument through your love and your kindness and your words and through your prayers to bring them to himself. And of course, disciple intentionally. Teach them about God. Teach them about having a relationship with them. Model what that looks like. The Lord gave Noah his household as I was thinking about Noah's household, I, it registered in my mind John Knox. Now, I have a grandson named Knox, named after John Knox, and so this, this statement comes to me a lot. But John Knox, this Scottish reformer, he was so intense about his countrymen that he said and prayed, God, 
give me Scotland or I die. It was such a huge burden for him to see his own countrymen come to Christ that he said, God, give me Scotland or I die. If the Scottish reformer felt this strongly about the conversion of his nation, should we not think that strongly about the conversion of our own children and grandchildren? Paul put it like this in Romans 10.1, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He had a desperation for Israel. What about you and your family, my all-time favorite parenting book is written by Paul Tripp. And in the book, he said this about raising children. God has designed that you would be a principal, consistent, and faithful tool in his hands for the purpose of creating God consciousness and God submission in your children. I want to see the spiritual temperature in a home. How many conversations happen where... They're spiritual, and we're talking about our relationship with God, and we're talking about what the Bible says about the issues that arise within our homes. You you see, you have an assignment, parents, to learn and to grow and to be discipled, but also to help your children to learn and grow and to disciple them. Chap Bettis, in his book, Disciple Making Parent, probably my number two favorite parenting book, said this, the most important task you have as a parent is to make sure your children are hearing the gospel in a loving and winsome manner. Parents, do you hear that? You you have a tremendous assignment. It's a wonderful assignment. One of the things I love about growing older is now I get to watch my kids walk with God as an adult And I get to watch them raising their children to know God. That's the richness of growing old. And if you're a young parent, don't miss that when you get older. Don't look back and say, I should have invested more. I should have uh, prayed more desperately. I should have laughed more frequently. I should have loved more sacrificially. I should have discipled more intentionally. Now is the time to do that. And children, I'll say it. Over and over again. And students, if you have parents who are intentionally talking to you about a relationship with God, who time and time again keep coming back to the scriptures and they are teaching you and discipling you and they're praying with you and they're encouraging you and they give you consequences when you get outside the boundaries of what God would expect, thank God for them. Thank God for that kind of parent. God has spoken plainly about this himself, hasn't he? Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, God's made this very plainly that you're the responsible party. God, just like he called out Adam to keep and to maintain the garden, said it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, a co-equal part of the team that has different gifts and abilities. But nonetheless, Adam was the one who was created first. He was given responsibility and then a helpmate, someone suitable, equal, who would come alongside of him. In that same way, fathers, God's given you a helpmate and a wife who comes alongside of you. And so she's an equal part of the team. And together, 
you carry out this responsibility that God's given you, fathers and mothers. See, we talk about Noah being a man of faith from Hebrews 11, verse 7. Remember this, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Don't don't lose sight of that statement as a man of faith. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, building the ark was a big assignment, but not any bigger than raising the kids he would take on the ark. It was by faith that he lived out his faith and he shared his faith and he built this ark and his kids were ready to board it when the time came. The Lord gave Noah's household. Pray that God will give you your household. But the Lord also gave Noah hope. Think with me for a minute. It's, um, it's in this storm that's getting ready to happen. God had told Noah, verse 4, in seven days I will send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights. So here he had seven days. Now, when I read this text, it seems as if Noah gets on the boat with his family and God brings all the animals to him that would get on the boat. Just like God brought all the animals to Adam to name, God would have brought all the animals to Noah to get on the boat. And I don't know what kind of homing device or what God did to call all those pairs of animals. Some came in sevens, those clean animals, those that would be a part of the sacrifices that would be made once Noah and his family got off the boat. But all of them would come in at least pairs, male and female, so they could multiply. There are different numbers that people give of kinds of animals that would have come. There would have been thousands of different kinds, maybe up to 15,000 kinds of animals. The ark itself would have been more than adequate to house that Many animals, many of them would have been small, like a rat. I'm not sure why they needed to get on the ark, but God knows. But some of them would have been small. The average would have been that of a size of a lamb, most would have said. And so even those that would have been larger, like an elephant, they would have been probably more of an adolescent. And even those that would have been uh, dinosaurs, reptiles. You know, a, a reptile is the only animal that will keep growing depending on its devi- environment and its age. And of course, because there were hundreds of years of, of, of life for not only humans but animals, many of them grew to great sizes. But yes, I believe there were dinosaurs on the ark, probably some of the smaller reptiles that would have grown and maybe again been adolescent. But God was bringing all these animals. You see, Noah remembered the promises of God. He was a man of faith. He was trusting God. God had told him what to do. And God is allowing him to see the fulfillment of these promises. And if Noah boarded the ark and didn't come off it for those seven days, which there may be some wiggle room there in interpreting that. But I could just imagine the thoughts of, well, is it really going to rain? Now, I'm sure the affirmation of all the animals coming had to be confidence-building, faith-building for him. Man, all these animals are showing up. This must be going to really happen. And, and I can imagine the kinds of thoughts that would be going through his mind there. But remember, as this rain starts falling, 
It's already, it's going to rain for 40 days, Noah. You see, sometimes we get in the middle of the battle and we think, is it ever going to be over? Are we ever going to be able to get past certain things? I mean, you've felt it in your own house, haven't you? You've hit a stage in your life and it's a battle every day you go to work or it's a battle every day you go home. It's a battle every time you come in contact with this certain individual and you think, will that ever subside or will there ever be peace? Will we ever get past it? And in the middle of the storm, it seems like, no, it's never going to get better. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were sick and... For a day or two, we thought, we are not going to get better. <laughs> you, you get it. You felt that. You've been working on a project before, and, and you thought, man, I am never going to get this done. Every time I do one thing, it leads to another thing. We all know what that feels like, and when the storms of life come, some of you are living in them right now. You've had difficult news. You've had to go to doctors. You're walking through some tough days. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's family, but the storms of life come. And for Noah, the hope that he has is based on the promises of God. As he sat on that boat, as he organized, as he shuffled the animals around, and as he made sure all was being taken care of, he had to keep remembering the promises of God. That's where our hope is. It's not in ourselves and whether we have the ability to overcome. It's not in ourselves whether we're smart enough to make things happen. It's not in and of ourselves to figure it all out. It's the power and the goodness of God. It's the promises of God that we rely on. That's why we say read your Bible every day because you need daily, regularly to be hearing the promises of God, the encouragement that he gives Noah also received the the provisions of God. The animals came. All the food that would be necessary for over a year. That's a long time to be on a boat. You think about what God was providing for them so that they would be okay. And Noah recognized the power of God as those floodwaters came. It's a pretty violent thing that happened in verse 11 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open now nobody was there to see exactly what all was going on this is historical event though God is telling us this with real people, real ages, real times. This is historical, and we read it with that kind of uh, reliability of its historicity. This is the very Word of God, and God's making it known to us. But as we reflect on things around us, and we know the Word of God to be true, we then can look at our surroundings and our environment and say, well, if this is what happened, then maybe here are some of the results of that. And so when you look at all the land masses on the face of the earth, they all seem to fit together, don't they? And then we, we in school, we learn about plate tectonics, and I think I said that correctly. But one of the memes that's going around right now is it's really just a cat with a yarn ball. Have you seen that when you put on? It's, don't worry about that. 
But when you push all these land masses together, it seems they fit all together. And it makes perfect sense that in this flood time, when the earth's crust and uh, the earth itself is being thrown into this chaos and water bursts from the deeps, that the land would begin to separate and we would have the kind of circumstances that we have today. And although the land may have been more flat and the waters may not have had to have been too great, when all the shifting took place, the depths of the oceans and the heights of the mountains, when all was said and done, would have been even greater than this actual universal flood, global flood that took place Again, when we read the scripture, we have to read it as historical documentation. It explains the layers found in the earth. It's not due to chronological years, but catastrophic judgment that so quickly occurred that these layers formed quickly, not only when the flood was occurring, but when it was dissipating as well. Put your hope in God and not in the current views of science. Some see science magisterially. That is, science, the current view of it, trumps everything. And so you might be saying the Bible has an explanation for this, but but science says this, or again, the current view of science says this, and the reason I want to qualify that is because the current view of science is not current tomorrow. Science, the view of science is always changing. And the more we know about True science, the more we see the truthfulness of Scripture. And so instead of being magisterial, the current view ruling over Scripture, we see that it's ministerial, it serves the Scriptures. That when all is said and done, we know the Word of God is true. And time will tell, archaeology keeps affirming that the Word of God is true. In every generation, there is a faith element of believing God and obeying Him and following Him in His Word. And that's why we've tried to let Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 be an important passage that we would encourage you as families to memorize. And let's say that responsively this morning. You see your part and uh, follow me, and then we'll all finish this up together. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The Lord gave Noah's household. The Lord gave Noah hope. And the Lord gave Noah help. Do you see that in verse 16? To me, when I read, when I read this chapter, this is the phrase, that's, this statement that sticks out to me. I circle it. It seems like every time I read through my Bible. But, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. God closed the door. God shut him in. Now, again, I try to get in the mind of Noah because the Bible doesn't really tell us what all's happening. But I could imagine if it were me and I was getting on this boat and all of a sudden the door closes, there might be a little bit of regret. Did I do enough? Did I preach enough? Did I reach out enough? Did I get all the work 
that God wanted me to do done. And I think when we think of the gravity of the situation, the souls that are at stake, heaven and hell, we've got to take our job seriously enough to do all we can while we can. That's why we would have another campus so that we can multiply the work that God would give us. There may have been some regret that I'd do enough. I think there would have been some grief. There were people that Noah knew, people that he had talked to, people he had done business with, people that as a herald of righteousness maybe he had preached to that weren't on that boat. And they were getting ready to be destroyed. You see, God has the right to judge all of us. He's the creator. He made us. He gave us instructions And if we rebel and turn from him, we get what we deserve. I imagine for Noah there had to be some grief. But but at the same time, I, I think there had to be some comfort here. That it was God who had shut him in. And in some ways, the the ark is a place of refuge from the storm. And although we might not have a boat that we're in, I think about the people of Ukraine and I think about... For them, God is their refuge. We don't know what the results are going to be. We don't know the end of the nation of Ukraine or the people of Ukraine or the church that's in Ukraine and all the work that they're doing for the glory of God. But there's a sense of comfort that for Noah, he had done what God had called him to do. And I have that deep burden in my heart as a pastor of Lawndale, and I think our our staff shares this burden that our job is to help the people of Lawndale to do what God put them here on earth to do. That in some way, shape, fashion, or form that we're all called to make disciples, and unless we become a training center to send people out into their homes and into their jobs and into their schools and into their neighborhoods to make disciples that we are failing at our job. There's a sense of comfort in knowing you've done what God's called you to do. It gets you through the storm. No matter how difficult it may be, you keep coming back to the calling that God's given you. Are you being obedient? Are you being faithful? There may be naysayers around you like there were in Noah's day. There may be those that are are difficult. There may be parts of the job that are hard. But it's that call that gets you through to the next day and to the next day until the storm passes. God is our refuge. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, the main thing is to be in the everlasting arms of God. And that's enough. Is it enough for you, though all around you may fail, to know that you are in the everlasting arms of God himself? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego found themselves in the midst of a life and death trial. Bow down to the king or be thrown into the fiery furnace. I love what they say in the midst of the trial. Daniel 3, verse 17 and 18. If this be so that we're getting ready to go into the fire. Our God, 
whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. We know God is able. We know he's able to deliver. But what if God doesn't deliver? What if things don't turn out like we want them to turn out in this life, on this earth? Are we still okay to be in the everlasting arms of God and to draw our strength, our breath, our life from life himself, God? Pray with me. Father, we commit as your people to serve you no matter what. Good days, bad days, storms, sunshine, rainbows, rain. God, you are enough. And this morning, we confess that we believe that you're with us. You're with us in the fire. You're with us as a shelter. You're with us in the storm. And we know you will lead us through the fiercest battle. Where else would we go but to your everlasting arms? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.